Welcome to episode one of the Agents of Everything podcast. Now, as I say, this is a podcast. I'm slightly reluctant to call it a podcast because everybody's podcasting. And to say it's a podcast is to sort of, in my feeling, it's to suggest that it exists to be a podcast. And this really doesn't exist to be a podcast. This exists to be a, uh, a way of having a conversation with the world or the way of participating in a conversation with the world. Now, as you're listening to this right now, there's a good chance you already know something of me, James Tripp, um, something of my past work, the work I've been doing up until now. I'll admit that with this project, I am ever so slightly trepidatious. The reason being is that for a long time, I've been speaking to the same kind of audience, the same kind of people. What I'm looking to do with Agents of Everything is to expand out a little from where I have been, um, and I don't quite know where that expansion goes, okay? So in this episode, this first episode, what I'm gonna be doing is I'm gonna be outlining what this is about, okay? The intention behind it my way. I'm gonna be in outlining what it is that this conversation as it goes on will be covering, uh, the kinds of areas, and it will not be limited to that, but I want to give a sort of core, and um, I'm going to say something about me, where I'm coming from, where I am speaking from, where I am engaging in this conversation from, okay? And I might say something about why I think it's important that we do, as human beings, engage in generative conversation, generative dialogue with other human beings and with perhaps the world uh, at large. Okay, so agents of everything. What is this about? What are we going to be covering in this, uh, this conversation? Now, first of all, I'm going to say why I'm calling this a conversation. Right now, I'm sat here. I'm in my main room at home where I work from. And, um, you know, I'm obviously delivering a sort of monologue here. Now, so unlike a lot of podcasts, there's no guest here. There's no actual conversation happening inside of this space. Right now, I may well have guests in future. I would love to have guests in future, uh, but we shall see how it unfolds. But this is a conversation because I am speaking out into the world and some people are going to be listening. And it is my desire that whatever gets resonating in your neurology as a result of what you're hearing here, whatever you, cre you create within yourself with what you hear, it is my desire that that will also create output from you. And maybe that's output back to me via comment sections, etc. This is largely gonna be uh, centered inside of a Substack or out to other places in the world, okay? This is what I would call generative communication. I think this is an important thing. It's a clear core value for me in the in the one-on-one -on -one work that I do I'll talk about that in a little bit and also in terms of how I think it's useful for us as human beings to engage with the world in a way that contributes to its unfolding and evolution all right if that sounds lofty uh, trust me I'll bring it back down to earth and if I don't bring it back down to earth say what specifically do you mean James ask the question I'm always open to questions Okay, so agents of everything. What are we going to be talking about? I'll tell you why it's called agents of everything in a moment, but I'm going to go through the kinds of areas we're going to be discussing and exploring. So the first thing we're going to be looking at is difference making. Okay, 
Now, this relates to the agents bit in Agents of Everything. If we human beings are able to act in the world, the assumption is, here I'm making, is that we're acting in the world with the intention of making differences. Now, these differences could exist on numerous levels and within numerous contexts. I just made a cup of coffee, okay? I acted in the world to make a difference. So I could sit here with a coffee that will go cold because I won't probably end up taking a sip of it while I'm uh, recording this. But, you know, I'm acting, I'm looking to make a difference. It's within a very specific context. Now, I also work with clients one-on-one who are looking to transform their experience of themselves, of their lives, and transform their engagement with the world and get different results. Okay, now this work is called different things in different contexts. Some places I do it, it's called coaching. Some places I do it, it's called change work. Okay, and there's probably a number of other things you could call it as well. But what I'm looking to do in that moment is engage with somebody and co-create difference for them that is gonna benefit them. And the way I look at that work as well is it's not like I'm doing something to them, I am co-creating with them. So we together are creating difference that we would evaluate as being beneficial. Okay, so they get to go away and take that difference out into their lives, into their worlds, and become, in my own framing, more effective difference makers in the context of their life, right? Now, so I say more effective difference makers in the context of their lives. Uh, I've coached all sorts of people. I've coached salespeople. I've coached artists. I've coached filmmakers, okay? Or I've worked with, done change work with, however you want to frame it, okay? Uh, Frontline services people, um, military people, armed forces people, uh, creatives, executive level people, all sorts of people. And they're all engaged in the games they're engaged in in the world. It's a frame that I sometimes use. I might talk about it at some point in the future. And they're all looking to be able to make the specific differences they're looking to be able to make. Each and every one of us, we come into the world um, with a bunch of reflexes. We're not great at making differences. We don't have a lot of power in the world. We don't have a lot of personal agency. Remember, this is the Agents of Everything podcast. So we get busy learning as we grow, as we uh, put our sense of the world together within our own minds, put our capabilities, our skill sets together. We're looking to become more effective at making differences. We're looking to increase our agency, increase our power to affect change, whatever that change may be. Okay, so the first thing that we're gonna be talking about a lot, uh, or I'm gonna be talking about a lot um, within this series of podcasts is difference making. This is an important fundamental idea to the work that I do. Second thing we're gonna be focusing on a lot is communication. Okay, now the communication is the means by which we engage with the world uh, to do our difference making, largely. Now you could say it's not all communication in a simple sense. If I'm uh, building a garden shed, I might not need a lot of communication if I'm doing it on my own. If I go to buy the materials, I'm gonna need communication, okay? If I wanna get a good, sweet deal on those materials, I'm definitely gonna wanna be refining my communication. But communication happens between us and the world, and it is the fundamental creative medium or the medium of engagement through which we create with the world. Communication. Okay, much of the time, if we are going to be anything other than solo operators, and nobody is exclusively a solo operator in life. Right, so there's communication between ourselves and the world around us. And we're gonna be 
Looking at this sometimes, this is something I've spent a lot of time in over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, looking at pragmatic communication, the pragmatics of communication. I'm a neurolinguist. I am known internationally as an authority on the subject of hypnosis, which to me is not a special state, but is a set of communication uh, skills and understandings. Okay, we'll, we'll be talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, I've got to switch back on my remarkable here. The other thing I'm going to say about communication is communication is it's key within systems and within complex systems. So in a sense, we as individuals can look at ourselves as nodes in the broader systems of our lives. Okay, social systems, cultural systems, these sorts of things. You, you know, if we work at work, we work with other people. We're part of a system. If we are connected into a family, a social network, we're part of a system. Okay. So communication is about the uh, interaction and the interdependency between nodes in a system, which we are a node in ourselves. However, depending on the level we look at this, you can see ourselves as being a complex system in and of ourselves. So there are different aspects of self, different um, Marvin Minsky, the AI uh, researcher of old, has often referred to these as agencies within our mind. We have different agencies. We're back to that agent bit in agents of everything. That we ourselves are comprised of a network of agencies that interact, that communicate amongst uh, themselves. Okay, so we ourselves are a, uh, a complex system that sits inside of a bigger complex system. And those agencies are complex systems in and of themselves. Okay, so complexity, complex systems, this is an important part. I would say in the work that I do, if you're looking at the pragmatic work, the change work that I do, I don't share that with clients, looking at things in terms of um, dynamic, complex systems, but that's an underpinning of how I look at and how I do the work that I do. Because I know I'm working with uh, autopoesis, uh, autopoetic systems, systems that create and organize themselves. Um, okay, I'm not gonna go too far down that because I want to keep this in the realms of the practical and some people listening to some of these ideas, when they first encounter them, they will seem like abstract ideas. So uh, communication, that's the second major area that we're gonna be looking at. Third area is, I've called this sense-making and psychology. Now these are not the same thing. In a sense, sense-making and psychology are different lenses, different ways for looking at how we human beings might do the world, but they are also related. So sense-making, this is key to me. We live in the world according to the sense that we make of the world. We experience the world according to the sense we make of the world, okay? There is no way we can come to the truths of the world without bringing our understandings to those truths and therefore shaping them. Okay, so our experience and our choices are dictated by the sense we make of ourselves, the sense we make of the world at large, the sense we make of the world around us, the individual items, people, however we perceive it. Right? And when we change our sense, we change our experience of things and the behaviors we do that bubble out of how we are seeing and being, they change as well. Okay? So our individual sense-making is intimately tied up with our psychology. How I see things dictates largely how I respond to them, right? How I make sense of them, how I experience them. But sense-making also happens collectively. 
We make sense as groups, as cultures, all of this kind of thing. The sense inside of my head, I didn't sit there in isolation and make that all by myself. The sense that resonates inside of my neurology, the ways of making sense, they are um, part biological, part sociological, part cultural, part psychological, part whatever. Right? Nobody makes sense in a vacuum. We do sense-making collectively with other human beings. Okay, this is an important thing. So sense-making exists on multiple levels. The individual, the psychological, but also the collective, the social, the cultural. And it all influences us. And depending upon how we participate with it, we influence back. We're all dancing the dance. Question is, how are you going to dance it? Okay, so sense-making and psychology. Often, by the way, I just use that dance metaphor right there. I've talked elsewhere, um, sometimes when I run coaching groups that have certain themes around them. Uh, I did one called The Magician's Journey a few years ago. And the central idea of that was becoming more adept at what I call dancing results out of reality. That is, we live in a world of rich complexity and unpredictability. We can't control it. So how do we bring about the differences we want to make? Going back to difference making, how do we bring about the outcomes we want to bring about? Well, what we need to do is understand it in such a way that we can dance with it. Right Now, when you dance with somebody, if it's not a choreographed dance, there's a bit of leading and a bit of following. But the more adept you are as a dancer, the more you're able to bring the dance uh, towards the kinds of expressions you would like. Okay, I'm not going to say outcomes because that doesn't fit with the metaphor of dance. All right, so dancing results out of reality, that's part of difference making, but it also fits with this idea of sense making and psychology and collective sense making and how we participate, okay? We are all participating in the unfolding of life on this planet, especially of human life. I'll admit that I'm slightly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not, it wouldn't be humanocentric. Um, Anthropocentric, something like that. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. I admit that I am anthropocentric in my view here. All right, so next thing we're looking at. I've just touched on this one, global consciousness. What do I mean by global consciousness? Really, I'm interested in individual consciousness and global consciousness, how they relate to each other, how they uh, interact. But when I say consciousness, I'm not talking about something lofty, something too abstract. I'm literally talking about like that aware intelligence that we have, but that is shaped. I'm not talking about raw, unshaped consciousness. So what I mean by this, let me give you an example. Um, I, often, I often will refer to, in the work that I do, specific consciousnesses, right? So a person can develop their chess consciousness, or their math consciousness, or their boxing consciousness, if they box. And what it means to develop a specific consciousness in a specific area like this, is that consciousness is basically being like aware and switched on, right? The lights are on. But it also is illuminating things in a particular way, right? So let's take chess for an example. Somebody with a very low level of chess consciousness, well, they know there's a checkered board and they know there are pieces and maybe they don't even know how those pieces move, right? They know it's a game it sits in the category of things that we might call games. You notice two people facing each other. So when they look and they see a chess game unfolding in front of them, 
There's only so much sense they can make of that because their chess consciousness is low. They're not going to see any meaning or implication in where the pieces are on the board. Now, somebody upgrades their chess consciousness and they develop their understanding of the rules of the game, let's say, how the pieces work, how the pieces move, right, and the aims of the game. Well, now, when they look and they see a configuration on the board, they might see something quite different, or they will see something quite different. They'll go, oh, right, yeah. They'll be able to work some things out. Now, somebody who's got their chess consciousness developed further, they've looked at lots of openings, lots of gambits, they've studied lots of classic games, they see all sorts of subtle implications in the patterns and the positionings and all of this kind of thing. They're going to experience something very, very different. They're going to see a whole different set of possibilities in a snapshot of a game because their chess consciousness has gone up. So if you want to increase your ability to play chess and bring about the outcomes you want within the context of chess effectively, the way I often frame this is one of the things you need to be able to do or you want to be able to do is elevate your chess consciousness as much as you possibly can, right? So that's an individual chess consciousness. Now we could have a consciousness for any game we play in life, not just chess, okay? So the main games I play in life is not chess. I do play a lot of chess, uh, but doing change work and coaching and martial arts and I've had other main games like doing music that kind of thing music creation I used to have a recording studio and I play instruments and I used to um, make music okay that's a game I'm not really engaged in anymore but these are some of the games I have other games as well I have like my negotiation game right so I have a certain negotiation consciousness if I have to negotiate with somebody right I have an in a general influencing game we can carve our life up into any number of games, which I find a very useful thing to do, personally as a sort of heuristic. And we can elevate and we can look at how is our consciousness and skill set work in the context of that game. Do I want to elevate it, right? How do I go about elevating my consciousness? So something like a negotiation game, you can elevate your consciousness, like in a similar way to how I talked about with chess. Um, and you can elevate your skill set because there's skills involved in that. Same for something like a boxing game. Okay, I love martial arts. I do a lot of martial arts. At the moment, I'm predominantly doing uh, Bagua Shan and boxing, right? So different arts from different cultures. And I'm interested in how they elevate my overall game in martial arts, not just my, my sort of boxing sub-game and my Bagua Shan sub-game. Right, so that's consciousness. On an individual level, people often get that. Oh, and, and by the way, the aggregate of all of that, you could just call your general life consciousness, right? So you, you can break life down into these sub-games, but overall they aggregate into the big game of your life. So the aggregate of that is your overall life consciousness. Um, so that's our individual consciousness. The way I'm using the term here. It's about how we see things and what possibility we see in things when we observe. Now, um, I mentioned before that we are part of a complex system. We're complex systems ourselves, and we are part of a complex system. Uh, there's a maxim, it's an old hermetic maxim, that goes as above, so below. I think it's from the Emerald Tablet, an old uh, uh, hermetic document. Um, so as above, so below. This isn't always true in life. Like if you are interested in emergence and stuff like that, you'll recognize that often as above, not so below. But often as above, so below is a, again another useful heuristic. 
So if you think about our individual consciousness and our individual minds existing on it as emerging from the complex system that we are, we can consider that there's a collective consciousness and a collective mind that emerges from the complex system that is all of us human beings in interaction with each other in the various ways that we are, right? Now, you know, individual mind you could call mind, collective mind you could call culture, maybe, okay? Global consciousness for me is the sum total of ideas in the mix, how we generally, in general, tend to be brought to seeing the world as participants in a culture. Now, this is a significant thing because global consciousness, global culture, right? And the overall emergent culture is going to be emergent from all the individual cultures and how they interact and all the individual psychologies and how they interact, right? So we get this kind of like emergent global consciousness and, and it feeds back down and influences us as individuals. So we feed into the global consciousness, but more strongly, it shapes us. Now, if we're interested in personal sovereignty, which is what I'm going to come to next, you know, agency, this kind of thing, um, self-determination, this kind of thing, we want to know how that's influencing us back. We want to know how we're participating in it. We want to know the significance of it. Often people think they are really independent thinkers. They are not, right? So not just our thinking and our ways of seeing and engaging are being influenced by global consciousness, global culture. Sometimes that will manifest in actual pragmatic changes in the world that influence us, right? Very few of us are, uh, you know, sovereigns of the world. So that means we are subject to uh, the world, right? That means if people change things in the world, those things have impact and influence on us. We might not like those impacts and influences. They might not align with our values. How do we relate to that? How do we find power in relation to that? Okay, those are interesting questions, particularly if you come back to this idea I shared right at the beginning, that we pop into the world with no power, right? No personal power, just a bunch of reflexes, suckle reflex, grasp reflex. And then we're on a mission to make sense of the world and develop ourselves as agents in the world, that is people with power to act and to bring about difference, right? Well, if we're gonna be agents in the world, to what degree do we have um, you know, true agency grounded within ourselves? And to what degree are we being shaped, pushed around either by the unseen ideas that sit inside a culture or the actual uh, laws and rules and dictates and, and behaviors of others. Do you see what I mean? So we end up with this kind of crazy complex mess that we're charged with making sense of and creating within and through, right? I often point this out, by the way, to coaching clients. Depends on the client, depends on the context, but I'll point this out. I'll say, you know, we're all basically the same. We come into this world and it's a messy, complex, crazy world. Right? And the, the version of the world that we are in right now in this time is getting progressively more complex and crazy. And we're all charged with the same task. Make some kind of sense of this and make your way through it. Right? Now, I would say create good things with it. Now, how do you define good things? Well, those are deep questions. How do you define good things? Good for whom? Good in what way? But just because it's not simple to do doesn't mean that's not what we're doing. Right? And it's tricky and it's tough. And sometimes people find things get on top of them, right? A lot of the, some of the work that I do, particularly when I'm working with the military veterans that I work with, um, and I'll talk about this in a little bit. Maybe I should have given my bio up front. 
for people who don't know what I do. Um, but part of the work that I do, I work with military veterans. They're transitioning to civilian life. Uh, they've often, you know, they've had their psyches shaped by a particular value set for a particular purpose. And then they've got a medical discharge for one reason or another. They have to adapt to a civilian world which operates by a different set of values. The whole identity doesn't necessarily fit. There's all sorts of challenges and often there's um, other issues in the mix, usually diagnosed as PTSD, that kind of thing, right? I often say to people, look, you're in a situation where shit's got on top of you and um, really, you know, our job working together in here is just to get you back on top of that shit, right? So I say this to them. It's a simple way of framing things, but life is complex, right? It's not necessarily easy to make sense of. It's not necessarily easy to find your power within it or get clarity within it on how you're gonna be and how you're gonna act and what you're gonna create. Those are not necessarily easy things. They are a challenge for a great many people. They're a challenge for all of us in a lot of ways, okay? In a lot of ways, this is what the material of this, um, this podcast, this conversation, Agents of Everything, is all about. Okay, the last uh, point that I'm going to make here, it's a pair of points or a pair of ideas. One of the things that's really important to me is personal sovereignty. Okay, now, I'm not going to claim that personal sovereignty is important to me because it's an absolute good. And I'm not going to claim that personal sovereignty, to, it, sovereignty is important to me because I can justify it rationally in any kind of positivist way, right? I'm going to own that 100% as a personal bias, right? I'm going to just say, I think that's a good thing because I think that's a good thing, right? I'm not going to get into a deep philosophical debate about it. It's a personal value. And it's going to sit at the heart of where I come from in a lot of what I discuss. So personal sovereignty, and by the way, this has come out throughout my life in all manner of different ways. You know, I was told when I was at school that I had a problem with authority, and I've had this parroted back to me at several points. I've walked out of jobs when I was younger because, you know, it was just like, F you, I won't do what you tell me kind of thing. So I'm aware that for me, this isn't like a rational, logical thing. It's just like some clean philosophical, ethical value. There's like a visceral thing in this for me. It's like, right, no, I will be as me in the world and I do not like being oppressed by others. I'm going to own that 100%. But my value for personal sovereignty, and again, I'm owning this 100%, extends to other people. What I mean by this is I have spent a number of years, and uh, this is particularly true a few years ago, like before I really got deep into change work and coaching, I initially was looking at human psychology and communication and these kinds of things from a pragmatic perspective because I was interested in being able to better influence other human beings, right? I had a sense that I lacked the power that I wanted to have in the world to, uh, to take charge of my own personal sovereignty and being able to influence others effectively would um, assist me with that. But what I found is the better and better and better I got at influencing people, the lesson, you know, the more I became aware that a lot of the time I didn't want to influence people in particular ways, right? I had this sort of sense within me that I would hang back from using my influencing skills quite considerably, 
Right? And I didn't have the consciousness to know, what's that about? But when it did come through for me, I recognized that what it was is I feel deeply uncomfortable in myself in curtailing other people's personal sovereignty. So any kind of like influence that involves a zero-sum game, which I will often label as manipulation, like I get what I want, but that person loses out somehow, right? Or I increase my choices, but they decrease, decrease their choices in the world. That doesn't sit with me well ethically, right? And I own those ethics as personal ethics. They're my ethics. Other people are welcome to share them, but I'm not demanding that other people do. If I did, I wouldn't be respecting their personal sovereignty. So I highly value personal sovereignty for myself, right? And I highly value personal sovereignty for other people. And that is why that's a huge bias for me in the coaching work, the change work, the developmental work I do with other people. I'm helping them increase their personal sovereignty. I might be using strategy, tactic, all I know about influential communication to nudge them, right? I'm being quite strategic and tactical there, but I'm nudging them towards increased choice and more possibility, therefore increased personal sovereignty. There's a kind of slightly weird paradox inside of that. Now, I advocate this, I happen to hold this as a standard that goes beyond just doing individual change work with people. Um, I believe, I guess I'm a sort of classical liberal in this sense, I believe that when people are able to independently participate and bring what they bring to the world democratically, right? I think dem democracy isn't perfect, but it's our best shot at generativity. Okay, um, I think that when people are able to kind of bring their own stuff and not be repressed and able to be free to contribute, uh, that is a healthy thing. So personal sovereignty for me isn't about dominating, domineering others and shutting others down and telling them what they can and cannot think and shaming them and making them wrong and all of that kind of thing just so that you can have more power. That's not what it's about. It sits within a broader context, which is the context of what I call co-creation. Okay, now there's a kind of yin and yang here because personal sovereignty you could also look at as self-determination. It's another way of looking at that. But that is paired with co-creation. So we've got a sort of yin-yang pairing here. We want to be able to be in the driving seat of our own lives, but recognize that we can never be in the driving seat of our own lives. We are always co-creating with everybody else. So we want to be fully the creator whilst recognizing we are only ever the co-creator. It's all kind of yin-yang balance there, um, which I hope makes sense to people. If anyone's interested in diving deeper on that topic, I'm very happy to do so. So those are the general areas uh, of interest that the Agents of Everything podcast is going to center around. I'm going to tell you something about the title of this, this podcast or this conversation and the origin of that, because that'll help also, I think, for you to tune into the sense of it. Now, um, if I go back in my own history, like when I was a teenager, I was not a happy bunny, not a happy camper. I'm not going to go deep into this. I really disliked being at school. And part of the reason I disliked it is because there were people telling me what I needed to be doing and where I needed to be putting my mind and concentration. And I wanted to put my mind and concentration elsewhere, right, where I wanted to put it. Somebody who's recently said to me, hey, James, you know, you've got ADHD, right? And I'm like, oh, come on, really? Because I'm not big on 
psychiatric labels and things like this. And it seems to be very popular at the moment, self-diagnosis, it's almost trendy. Someone said, you know, you've got ADHD. I said, yeah, whatever, probably maybe. Um, and they said, here's the things about you that specifically uh, I would say are ADHD. And I'm like, okay. And one of the things was this idea of, of sort of like a hyper-focus, getting into a hyper-focus or a flow and losing time with things. Now, this actually really does seem to be true of me. I like to go deep into things. This is why some people say, wow, James, why are you so good with hypnotic language, for example? Because I went deep into it. I was very interested and absorbed myself deeply in the study and the practice and the exploration with that stuff, right? So, um, you know, ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. Well, actually, it's like the opposite of attention deficit is, well, what are you attending to. The deficit of attention is sort of sacrificial attention, attention on things you should be paying attention to rather than wherever one's interest takes one. Now, I've always been somebody that goes where my interests take me. I want to go deep in that area. Therefore, a formal outside in, here's the educational structure you need to adhere to, wasn't my cup of tea, right? So I was very miserable as a teenager. I felt oppressed by my circumstances at school. Uh, and for people in the US, I mean like high school, not university. Um, and I was so looking forward to being an adult. And of course, when I was an adult, I thought I was going to be free. I thought I'll be free as an adult. When I leave school, I'll be free. And I just switched my school for a workplace doing a shitty job that didn't mean anything to me. And I was really down on everything. And I was what I would call a complete victim to life, right? I lived into victimhood. In fact, I used to say, I used to wail. I didn't sign up for this shit. I used to say this shit being everything I'm expected to do as an adult human being. Anyway, um, I'm only mentioning that because there was a turning point when I was about 19 where I had this realization the world is not going to reorganize itself to suit my needs. Okay, it's not going to get off my back and let me just be as I am. I'm going to have to find a way of engaging with the world which means I'm gonna to have to reorganize myself in some way. Now, I didn't wanna do it entirely sacrificially. I still wanted to be me, but be a better version of me that was better able to work with the world around me to create out the outcomes that I wanted to, right? Or good outcomes, outcomes that I liked. So I started on this big self-development journey. Um, I signed up to do a philosophy degree and uh, did that at the University of London and that didn't necessarily get the answers I wanted, but there was some good stuff in the mix there. I got into uh, Qigong and Chinese martial arts, and then I got into Russian martial arts, so I became a martial arts teacher in my 20s. And I was really interested in, in growth and development and becoming more. Um, I started for, as an osteopath for a bit, and I uh, around about 2001, I saw talked about this elsewhere, but I'll mention it briefly here. I came back from traveling. I've gone traveling. This is in my late 20s. And I came back to the UK and I switched on Friday Night with Jonathan Ross. And I saw this guy, Darren Brown, on Friday Night with Jonathan Ross. And he'd done a TV special, but I'd been out of the country, so I hadn't seen it. And what he did there, what he demonstrated, just blew my mind. I didn't know what it was. He seemed to just have these incredible 
psychological skills. This is how he was framing it, really. It wasn't anything magical, mystical. It was just like applied psychology that enabled him to essentially read minds and influence people. And I looked at this and I thought, that is insane. If that's humanly possible, I want to be able to do that. I'm going to find out how that's done. Now, this was coming from this place for me of wanting to have more power in the world to affect the changes I wanted to affect. I want to just say right now something about that quick side note on power. A lot of people have got a, uh, they react to power. They have a semantic reaction, a negative semantic reaction to the word power because they assume it means power over, that it's some kind of zero sum game power right? And I think this is how a lot of activists who have been influenced by people like Michel Foucault, that kind of thing, um, they see things. They see like, you know, knowledge as being a construct and, and that construct is only about power dynamics and power in the most narrow way, zero-sum game power. So everything is a power game. It, like, you know, power dynamics are encoded into every human interaction and like, it's like a really narrow, narrow, uh, terrible simplification, I think. Right? And we might talk about that elsewhere. Um, and it's an idea that's, that's gained quite a lot of prevalence and, and uh, has, has started to change global consciousness in a way that I think is not useful. Right? But when I'm talking about power here, I'm talking about something different. Some people make that distinction of power with versus power over. I'm talking about power to not even power with, power to, power to affect change, power to work with variables, power to make the differences that you want to make, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be at all an unwholesome power of power over, power to repress, power to put down, right? So the power I was interested in very much was a power to. And I saw this Darren Brown guy, I didn't know who he was, what he was, whatever, but I got on the internet as it was at the time which was not like anything like it is now, you know, simple text documents, this kind of thing, maybe some images, maybe, but mostly just simple text documents. And I probably Yahooed or something like that. This is probably even pre the ascendance of Google. Uh, I looked into what does this Darren Brown guy do? Got this list of books. If you want to know what Darren Brown does, read these books. I've got three of the books on the list. There must have been about 20 books on the list. The three books I got were 13 Steps to Mentalism by Tony Corinda, uh, Magic and Showmanship by Henning Nelms. And this started to highlight something of what Darren was doing that wasn't quite what it appeared, uh, as did 13 Steps to Mentalism. And the third book I got was Introducing NLP uh, by John Seymour and Joseph O'Connor. Now, uh, that was my introduction to NLP. I didn't know anything about NLP at that point. I got this NLP book and I started to read it and it immediately blew my mind. It was a paradigm shift for me. Because I'd largely grown up thinking in, to a great degree, we are what we are. Right? Our personality is somehow genetic or whatever, or certainly fixed at a very early age. That book introduced me to the idea that people are basically patterns and that they are basically mostly learnt patterns. And if we can pick the patterns in other people, we can learn them ourselves, right? And this is all aspects of who we are. It's not just basic skills and things like that. It's aspects of what might be called character or personality. 
So there's this idea that whatever we admire, whatever we see in somebody else, we can model that and bring it into ourselves. This idea blew my mind and it hit me at a point in time when I needed to, to have this. I'm not going to go into details, but I got into a, uh, a set of situations which actually were to do with a choice about a direction I was taking in life that put me in over my head with my current patterns of being and engaging. So the idea, like I knew if I was going to stay this new course I was on, was actually when I chose to train as an osteopath, I would need to repattern myself to be a different person. And that's what I did. I started to create myself as a different person using ideas from NLP. I did this for about five years, um, maybe not quite five years, probably about five years. Self-exploring with NLP, rebuilding myself with NLP. I read everything I could about NLP. I got hold of some, uh, some courses and things like that, some home study courses, and I applied it and I explored and I recreated myself and my being in the world very extensively, predominantly using what I learned from NLP. Right? I'm not going to say using NLP. I'm going to say using what I learned from NLP because it didn't all work off the shelf. I had to hack it and make it work, this kind of thing. Now, after doing this for about five years, I took a formal qualification in NLP. Right? I've been using it a lot. I've been using a lot of the communication stuff and a lot of the modeling stuff. Did an NLP practitioner, did an NLP master practitioner, absolutely loved it. Did an NLP trainer training because I'd already decided whatever I'm going to do in life, I want it to be something to do with this. And I didn't know how and I didn't know what. Um, but I asked the trainers on my course, I think when I was doing my master practitioner, I just want to do something with this, with my life, something professionally. Right? I wanted to walk away from what I was doing professionally at that time and do something with this. They said, well, you could become a coach. Why don't you become a coach? I'm like, what, what do you mean coach? Like a life coach, are you kidding me, right? Now life coach, actually the first time I encountered the term life coach, I drove past a sign um, at a place that was called the Letchworth Center for Healthy Living in North Hertfordshire in the UK. And it had a sign outside life coaching. I'd never seen the term before. This was probably early 2000s, maybe like 19, late 1990s, maybe, I don't know. But first time I saw it, I was absolutely I was filled with incredulity at this. I remember going home uh, and saying to my girlfriend at the time, saying, like, can you believe this? They've got life coaching there. What kind of arrogant prick would set themselves up as a life coach, right? I, I couldn't believe somebody would be so full of themselves. They, they would think they could coach somebody on life. Right. And then years later, basically, these NLP trainers are going, well, you could become a life coach. Right. On the one hand, I'm like, okay, I'm a bit more open to the concept by then because um, I've got some different frames around it. But I certainly, I said to them, look, my life is far from sorted. I don't see how I could be a life coach. They encouraged me to do so anyway. Uh, and that's how I got into starting to work with clients. All right. Not under the title life coach. I've never used that title. I still have a, a, an aversion to it, to, um, to a fair degree, although I'm not quite so needled by it now. But basically, um, from about 2006 to the present day, a large part of the work that I have done is working with other people who want to fundamentally change their responses, their experience, 
and their engagement with the world, their responses to the world, their experience of the world, and their engagement with the world. And as a result of that, the, uh, the results and the outcomes they get. This has been my professional work for a long time. So all of this is about bringing us to this point of agents of everything. Why agents of everything? Within the world of NLP, what I prefer to call neurolinguistics, um, or at least the way I do it, I prefer to think of it as neurolinguistics, there is a concept of being an a becoming an agent of change. So those trainers, they could have said, why don't you become an agent of change, right? So for me, this is very much a personal agent of change. You could become a organization, you know, ag agent of organizational change. Some people go into organizational development, this kind of thing. That's an area that uh, if I ever got the opportunity to step into, if somebody said, James, come and work with me in this organizational development project, I would love to do something like that. If anybody's listening to this and they do organizational development and they'd like to invite me in, I would love to come in, uh, come along for the ride because I love exploring new areas. What I've always done is work with individuals, not with organizations. Um, I've worked with individuals within organizations, but I've not worked with organizations in a broader sense. Okay, so I have been an agent of personal change. Um, so basically since 2006, I have been an agent of change. Now, here's the thing. I did not um, set out to become an agent of change. Like, certainly not an agent of change in an office for hire as a service provider. That was not my intention. It's just the way things unfolded. It is the nature of the world in which we live that each and every one of us needs to have an income. There's no way around that. Nobody gets away from that. People can decry the fact that like, oh, you know, there's more to life than money. I saw somebody walking down the street the other day with a t-shirt on that said, you can't eat money, right? And I thought, well, you can't, but you can buy quite a lot of food with it, right? You can buy food for life if you have an income for life. Currently, that's the state of the world. Right? So to say you can't eat money is, all right, I get what they're saying. Um, but money, whether we like it or not, is part of the lifeblood of, the, of the, the culture that we live within, create within, act within, whatever. Right? So money's a thing. So uh, I became a service provider um, of change services, personal change services, right? So as an agent of change in an office. Now, because of the skills that I have, I obviously wouldn't con constrain those skills to when I'm just doing professional work. There are plenty of times, places outside of the office, in everyday life, with friends, family, associates, these sorts of things, where I've been able to use my skills to help people get unstuck, help people connect to more choice. Right, help people grow their personal power, personal sovereignty. Right, sometimes in big ways, sometimes just with little nudges, this kind of thing. And I've given examples of this on social media. I might give other examples at other points. But to me, that's being an agent of change outside the office, what I call being an agent of change in the world. Okay. So now we're starting to move from agent of change to agent of everything. Because the next piece is, is I never really got into the stuff that I got into 
to help other people change and connect into more choices. Even though I love doing that in the world, I love doing it in the world more than I love doing it in the office, right? I love those magical moments where things just align and come together and I'm able to contribute a nudge that helps somebody free themselves and connect to more possibility and choice. I love that when that happens spontaneously in the world way more than I love doing it in the office. For whatever reason, I don't know, I just do. So I love being an agent of change in the world. But I never got into this stuff to be an agent of change, a catalyst for the transformation of others, right? It just so happens that's a sort of side effect, right? I, I, let me just say this. Because of what I do, I also, and I haven't mentioned this as an aside, I teach people what I do. I teach people these skills, right? I have my book out, Hypnosis Without Trance, so that's one frame, hypnosis. You know, I teach people hypnosis skills. I teach people psychoactive facilitation skills. I teach people mind shifting skills, right? And a lot of the people I teach are professional change agents. Some of them organizational change agents, even though it's not something I do myself or have done myself. Um, but look, I didn't get into it to help people change. I got into it to be a better difference maker myself. Whatever that was I wanted to create in the world, I wanted to be more effective at being able to create it. So whilst I teach people change work skills, I also help people connect into ideas, concepts, ways of seeing, ways of being that empower them to be more effective difference makers, better agents in creating whatever outcomes they choose, right? Unniched. I nearly called this podcast James Tripp Unniched. Right, rather than James Tripp Unleashed, but I thought that was a bit tripocentric. Um, so look, this is why agents of everything. My interest here, my invitation here for those listening to this is to recognize how would you like to be different in the world, right? And how would you like to be different in a way that creates differences that you're going to value Okay, and this is about agency, and it's not limited to a particular area, right? Maybe the difference you want to make is small. Maybe there's a small art project you want to realize, or you want to be better at realizing art projects. Maybe you want to work with people. Maybe you want to be more effective at helping people shift their own minds, connect into more possibilities. Maybe you want to be able to steer, uh, you know, or contribute more to the evolution of a business that you are. Uh, perhaps the leader of, or perhaps just a participant in, right? Perhaps a team member in. Perhaps you're looking to found a new institution. Perhaps you are looking to influence um, the sense-making that is occurring collectively that is shaping global consciousness. I don't know, right? I don't know. For me, I'm interested in many things. But first and foremost, I'm interested in us. Us as human beings in this world, a part of this world, creating with this world, whatever it is that we want to create. Here we are. This spark of consciousness, this spark of awareness, this sense of I am and I can. So everything here, everything that we're looking at in some way relates to increasing that 
I can. And maybe reshaping that I am in the process or as part of increasing that I can. Okay, so whatever the field of application, could be anything, could be everything. We're interested in agency here. We're interested in how we show up, how we participate, how we bring ourselves to bear upon that, how we draw everything that is through ourselves and back out the other side so we can be fully creators in the world, agents of everything. So I'm coming at this through my background. I'm coming at this through being an agent of change, through neurolinguistics, through many other philosophies of self-transformation and empowerment that I have spent time with, exploring, uh, creating with. From my background in philosophy, from my general observations in the world, and from all of my biases, that's an important thing to recognize. If you're engaging in this Agents of Everything conversation, if you're engaging with me in this, my invitation to you is anything that I share, anything that comes through me is for you to create with, for you to explore with. None of it is claimed as truth. I am a believer in generative conversation, not people arguing about what is or isn't so. Uh, I'm just a guy trying to figure stuff out, right? Like everybody on the planet, just a person trying to figure stuff out, trying to get through, maybe looking to contribute. Okay, what I will say about this is this is going to be centered in my Substack. My Substack, my Agents for Everything Substack, this is going to now be the central place for all the work that I do. Some people know me as a hypnosis trainer. Some people know me as a change work trainer, coaching skills trainer, uh, as a coach, whatever. And they will sort of, some people are only interested, James, I only want your hypnosis stuff right? You can still get my hypnosis stuff. I don't hang out so much in the hypnosis zone explicitly these days, right? You can still get my hypnosis stuff, get my hypnosis training. So much of what I say will come through lenses that have been polished by my experience as a quote-unquote hypnotist, right? Even if I'm talking about global consciousness or how we influence each other in everyday life, so much of it is going to come through that lens, right? But this is not about hypnosis, my neurolinguistics, neurolinguistics for me is simply about uh, communication and sense making and how they interact and how they create who we are and our engagement with the world, right? It's a big area, uh, but in, in a sense, it's still a set of lenses. So I'm not bound by that set of lenses, but I am coming from that. Um, so I'm sharing these things for the sake of transparency. There's a whole bunch of stuff I've missed here. I'm just scratching the surface. The aim here is for this to be an introduction only. But I will say this, um, as I'm recording this, I'm not familiar with Substack 100%. I've just set my Substack up. I believe there will be an option to leave comments if you find this on the Substack. If you're listening to this somewhere else, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple or whatever, uh, I invite you to find me, James Tripp, um, on Substack. Sign up for my Substack. Uh, there's a... Uh, at some point, I might have a like a people who want to support me level, whatever. Sort of not not Patreon. That's a branded thing. I might have that, uh, but a, you know the bulk of the stuff's going to be free for you to access. If you want to get the podcast, and uh, I will be probably doing some writing, some newsletter stuff. We shall see how that unfolds. Okay, 
going to sign off right here. Um, and I look forward to when we next connect.